join me in prayer. Lord, you are all we need. That in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of frustration, in the midst of maybe even the mundane things of life, you call to us. You call to us, comforting us, guiding us to be your hands and feet, your image in the world. So Lord, we lift up our hearts, we lift up our minds to you that we might sense your spirit moving amongst us. That you would enable our discernment, that you would give us comfort in the middle of frustration and uncertainty, that you would guide our path. And that we might know you, not because of what we do, but because that you have adopted us, enfolded us into your life, into your very creation. You've entangled us into your mission in the world and that we would embody you in a hurt in a grieving and a chaotic world. So guide us, Lord. We pray all this in your name. Amen. My name is Matt Wilson, one of the pastors on staff, and it is a privilege to be with you this morning. I'm going to do something slightly different than what we normally do at this time. We would usually have the scripture reading. Uh, But I'd love to uh, offer a little bit of background before we jump into the text for this morning. Uh, The text is going to come from Philippians chapter 3, but I think to get uh, an understanding of it, I want to run back just a chapter, into chapter 2. Paul is writing this letter from prison to a church that has sent him resources and that is going through its own persecution. Unlike many other Pauline letters, Paul writes this letter to a church that is undergoing external pressure, external uh, frustrations. They're being persecuted for their following of Jesus. They don't have inner conflict in as much as they are having people, politicians, soldiers, civic leaders imprison them, beat them, put some of them to death. And so Paul, who imprisoned himself, writes to this church. And his encouragement in the second chapter is that they would be of the same mind and the same love. But he doesn't just kind of leave it at that. He gives context to what that love and that mindfulness ought to look like. And then he recites to them a a chant or a hymn or a, a song that they would have known, either that Paul wrote or somebody in their congregation wrote. And in, in this song, in this hymn, it states that Jesus did not understand his divinity to be something to grasp or hold tightly to, but rather emptied himself and was found in the form of a human taking on human likeness. 
And because Christ empties himself of his divinity, taking up being incarnate in humanity, God then glorified that every name, every tongue would confess Jesus as Lord. It's that same mind, same love, that the Philippian church is called to be under. That pouring out, the same way that Christ pours out, we too, as followers of Jesus, are called to embody that same mind, that same spirit. And then, just a few verses later, he gives two examples of that. And then we come to this, our reading for this morning. Now, uh, you're, what you're going to see on the screen, uh, these fir- this first section, is what the lectionary passage has. But I think it's really helpful. I'm going to start at the beginning of chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there and read along with me. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is not troublesome to me, and for you it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Even though I too have reason for the confidence in the flesh. And here's where our lectionary reading starts. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul here is writing to a church undergoing this external pressure, and he's going to offer a warning and an encouragement. And this is the warning. In the midst of those external pressures being put on this congregation, he says to them, rejoice in the Lord and beware of those who are evildoers, those who are seeking to mutilate the flesh. And he uses the word circumcision here. And that's not something that he's using flippantly. Because in the early church, there were some Jewish Christians who were concerned about circumcision, were concerned about the preservation of the law, of tradition. That if you're going to follow Jesus, what that means is also you become a part of the tribe of Israel. You too are circumcised. You too obey the law. Obey the tradition that was inherited, that Jesus was, had inherited, that Jesus was a Jew. And so you too, as a follower of Jesus, you also should follow the law. Have this tradition be your tradition. And then he'll go on to say, yeah, look at my credentials. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I, am, I was a staunch, zealous Pharisee. Like if you have this picture of a good Jewish boy, it is Paul. He had the accomplishments necessary to say, yeah, I know what I am talking about. It's like he's saying, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I am? 
You might have these people in your midst saying, yeah, you should be circumcised. Those who are your your Gentile Christians who aren't a part of the tribe, come. This is the way that you get in, that you are a part of us. This is the litmus test. And Paul says, I know that litmus test. I gave that test. I scored a perfect score in it. And that is a warning, he says. Beware. The second part of the ringing is here, starting in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Because like him in his death, being like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize to which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So here in this third chapter of uh, the letter to the Philippians, Paul is saying there are those amongst you who want you to live according to the flesh, to the spirit of the flesh. This idea that, you know, where you come from, what, what tribe you're a part, is what really uh, gives you accomplishment, distinguishes you in the world. Not just what you have done, your accomplishments, not the, the goals that you have obtained, but also where you've come from, the tradition that you've been a part of, the people that are your people. To say that, and this is what Paul is saying, like, there is a superiority that can get in this frame of mind, this fleshliness. To use tradition, to use doctrine as a weapon to say who is in and who is out. That is what Paul is pointing out here. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evildoers who are wanting you to live according to the flesh. Live according to what you accomplish, the litmus test that they want you to pass. And Paul is saying, I have passed that. I don't know about you, But there are so many times in my own life that I feel like I live according to the don't-you-know-who-I-am spirit, that flesh spirit, that I'm judged on my accomplishments, 
the degrees I have, the things I've said and taught, the, the human ways of thinking about a successful life. I have this much in the bank account. I have this much of health in my life. My family is this type of way. My daughter did this thing. My daughter's an honor roll student. That kind of stuff, right? But not only that, not only my selfish like accomplishments, not just the like, I should be this way. I, why don't people know who I am? I've done all the things, right? I am blameless in front of the law. At the same time, this spirit takes over how we think of tradition, that it is used as a way of deciding if you're good enough, if you're worthy of salvation, of following Christ, of being a part of us. Because that's ultimately what Paul is confronting, is that there are those in the midst who say, yeah, this is what you have to do, to join the club. And what Paul says is this, all that, I, all that spirit of don't you know who I am, that spirit of flesh, all of that accomplishment, I consider as a loss. He, he moves this metaphor into thinking about gains and losses, like an accountant. He considers all that he's accomplished, all the things that he's trying to rise to, all that human kind of stature. He considers it all loss. In fact, not all loss. He considers it kind of worse than that. He calls it garbage. And that is the great PG way of saying what the Greek word says. (laughs) The Greek word is the word skubala. If you learn anything from this sermon, learn that word. It's wonderful. It's my favorite Greek word because it's it really just means poop. <laughs> All of it is garbage, poop, BS. It is waste. In fact, it's not just loss, like, oh, it's gone, but its continued existence in our midst is toxic. To use tradition, to use the scriptures, to use this frame of mind, this don't you know who I am spirit is toxic, poisons the community, poisons this gathering of believers, this church in Philippi. To have this litmus test, are you in or are you out, creates toxicity in the church body. What Paul goes on to say is this, I strive for the knowledge of Christ. I want to know Christ. To put aside that litmus test, that that prescribed stereotype way of being in the world, to put that aside and to pursue the knowledge of Christ. And it's not just this knowledge, kind of head knowledge. It is a full human experience of who Jesus is, not just in how God inserts himself in these extra supernatural experiences that you and I might have. The times that we experience God in creation. 
or those, what we might call those mountaintop moments. Paul's not saying, yeah, to know that Christ. It's to know the Christ who pours out, who empties himself, being found in human likeness in the form of a slave. To take on and know the Christ who gets into the dirt and the mud and the grittiness of being human. To know that Christ. To know the Christ that takes hold of us. The, uh, the NIV version that we read, it, it's good. I, I really like the way the NRSV says this phrase. It's in verse 11. It says, not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal. I haven't reached perfection. I have not gotten all the way. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You see, the, the being-in-ness, the community that this church is seeking to embody is not one of, do you, do you pass the litmus test? Do you have all the accomplishments? But rather, it's being infolded because of who Christ is the Christ who died on the cross and rose from the dead. And so often, I just want to say, like, that sounds good, right? But, like, man, I just catch myself saying, well, this person's in and that person's out because of X, Y, and Z. They're not living according to Jesus, right? But what Paul is saying here is an encouragement to continue to strive together that we together will know Christ because this is not an individual thing that this church is trying to do. They're not doing this alone. The external pressure that they have on them, it's not just a singular thing. That this community is being held together, undergoing this persecution, undergoing these uncertainties. And Paul is saying, we do this together. Just as Christ came for all humanity, we ought to have the same mind and the same love. Being in the mix, being in the grittiness and the messiness of our community. I was reminded this morning, I was, uh, I'm, I'm trying, really trying not to be holier than thou, but somebody had mentioned a sermon that John Wesley said uh, and gave. And in it, he says, to be of the Catholic spirit, the universal spirit, to be of the Holy Spirit is not to like decide which congregation is best or which way to worship is best. It's not even a judgment of how you look or do the things that are best in the world, but rather it is to have Christ enlarge your heart. To have Christ enlarge your heart to the friend, to the enemy, to the stranger. To your family. To follow Christ, to, to take on the same mind as Christ, is to take on that enlarging of our hearts. To not understand the world or our church as a, as a place of, we get to say who's in and who's out. 
Christ does the work for us in that. What we are to do and what Paul gives this example of is that we are to press on because God has enfolded us. God uh, has entangled us together. And while we haven't achieved that perfection, we press on. Talking about the entanglements in which we live, how we care and support one another. That, that outpouring is truly what it is to take on the mind and love of Christ, to press on into knowing Christ. To change, to change that spirit from, don't you know who I am? To don't you know who I am a part of? and that being Christ. I'm certain if you've spent any time here in this congregation or in others in your past, you know of somebody you have had a conversation with or you have uh, had a meal with. In a desperate, dire time of your life, that conversation, that meal, that time spent together, you walked away going, man, that felt like Jesus. I don't know what it was that they said or they did, but I came away knowing that I had met with God in that moment. That God used their facial expressions, their tears, their lament with me to speak to me, the voice of the Spirit. That's what we're called to do as a church. Not to create some litmus test, but to embody what it is to be Jesus to each other and to a world that is hurting and lonely. And you're not doing this alone. Looking out in this congregation, I could tell you stories about so many people here, how they've not only ministered to me, but to others in this room showing God's grace and love and mercy and peace. Even though we might not fully agree on all the same orthodox beliefs, but we prefer to be united in love. I think that's what Paul is getting at here in this letter. That we're not to weaponize the past. We're not to weaponize the scripture. We're not to weaponize and make these litmus tests for who's in and who's out but rather take on the mind of Christ to pursue what it is to embody Christ in the world. And as the choir comes up to sing for us uh, for, for a time of response, of thought, of reflection, I think for us in this, in this congregation, in the place and time that we're in, I think that, me that means this. That instead of trying to hold on tightly to accomplishments, to our own felt sense of importance, to our own ways of thinking about people who are in and out, I think we are to embody hospitality, to embody the warmth the enlarging of our heart towards strangers, 
towards enemies, towards family. And not only that, that we're not supposed to just hold tightly onto and grasp doctrine and use it as a weapon, but rather have our actions and our hearts enlarged by love, to be unified in our love of each other and of those outside of our community. I think what that means is putting away any type of idea of what it is to be big and flashy kind of a congregation or church. That's not who we are. (laughs) But rather, that God would judge us on the quality of our care, the quality of our care for those in our midst who are hurting, who feel uncertain, and the quality of our care, our outpouring towards those outside of this place who need to know the love of God. Victor, will you lead us?